0: Welcome to the Foundation Podcast, your weekly insight into the most significant conservative ideas being discussed right now all across America. From policymakers to grassroots activists, and from thought leaders to elected leaders, each week we bring you the people and the ideas shaping the American Republic. Brought to you with a dose of Texas, where Lone Star Liberty shines brighter than ever. Well, folks, thanks for joining a special sort of urgent edition of the Foundation Podcast. This is Kevin Roberts, your host, sitting with Rob Hinicky, lawyer extraordinaire, general counsel and director of our Center for the American Future. Rob, thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Kevin.
0: You know, folks, we have this typical longer format where we talk about someone's story. In fact, Rob has been one of our early guests on this podcast. But today, we just want to take a few minutes and give you the quick hits about the importance of the Obamacare lawsuit, Rob played a pivotal role in that, which we mentioned, not to tout Rob, although he's, he's certainly toutable, if you will, but rather to say that there is, in modern American politics and policy, a significant role for state-based action, including, in, in our case, at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, state-based think tank action. But what we thought we would do for you over the next few minutes is A, tell you about the key points of the lawsuit itself, B, what the next steps are, and C, why it is important to have filed and won the first step of the lawsuit. So Rob, let's start with A. People who listen to this podcast follow politics, they follow policy. They don't necessarily, however, get involved in the details of legal matters. So even though you're a brilliant attorney, you're very good at explaining to the layman, including me, why this lawsuit's important. What are the the, the two or three takeaways?
1: Well, the first takeaway, Kevin, is we won. Last Friday, the federal district judge up in uh, Fort Worth uh, ruled that uh, all of the Affordable Care Act is now invalid because of the individual mandate penalty being determined as being unconstitutional. You know, in this case, originally you had this case launched by Texas leading a 20-state coalition. Uh, Texas Attorney General uh, Ken Paxton has has done a great job leading that state. And where the foundation sits in with our litigation center is we represent the individuals, specific individuals that continue to be harmed by the Affordable Care Act. We joined the case as their lawyers, as co-plaintiffs, and we litigated a very straightforward constitutional issue that the court agreed with when it ruled on Friday. And here it basically is. You remember back in 2012 when the Affordable Care Act, when Obamacare was first challenged in court, went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court in its decision, first of all, rejected every other argument as to why it was constitutional. And the only way that the Supreme Court said that the Affordable Care Act was constitutional was because it construed the individual mandate penalty as a tax. Remember, this is the provision that says, you have to buy health insurance, or if you don't pay health insurance, you had to pay this penalty. The Supreme Court said we can find that this is constitutional as a taxing power of Congress, and one of the essential critical components that allows us to do so is that the individual mandate penalty generates revenue for the federal government. That is the Supreme Court's language in finding the only way that the Affordable Care Act was constitutional. Last year, in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act package, Congress set the individual mandate penalty at zero. It didn't strike it from the statute. The language in law is still mandatory, shall purchase, but Congress set the penalty at zero. And in doing so, when we filed our lawsuit, we pointed out that with the penalty set at zero, The individual mandate no longer generates revenue for the federal government and under the Supreme Court's reasoning and language, therefore, it cannot be construed as a tax. Not only that, but in the Supreme Court's opinion, actually hard written into the statute of the Affordable Care Act and the government's own position, all of that over the last six years has always said that the individual mandate is an essential component of the Affordable Care Act without which the ACA cannot operate. It is inextricably intertwined. And so the trial court here in this situation, one, had the plain fact that the individual mandate did not generate revenue, the Supreme Court precedent saying without that you cannot construe it as constitutional, and then had to be obedient to the text of the statute saying that the individual mandate could not be separated from the Affordable Care Act. So the judge did his job. He followed the law, he followed precedent, he made a finding that the individual mandate penalty was unconstitutional, and as a result, because it could not be separated from the ACA, he declared that the entirety of the ACA is invalid. Now we'll appeal from there. This was a judgment entered at the trial court. Uh, It has to go through the appellate process before it will be final and in effect. So as of today, it does not change uh, how things operate, Uh, but it certainly provides a tremendous opportunity for this to be the sea change, for us to pivot and right the ship that has been so broken over the last six years of activating our leadership to be able to provide real policy solutions that will allow for people to have choice, the access to their doctor, and uh, actual affordability on this. But let me be really clear before we kind of move to the next point. This is a great example of adherence to the rule of law. This is not judicial activism. The judge took the law took the precedent that he was bound to follow, and he wrote a very tight, disciplined opinion that just ruled based on what that required him to do. Now, the policy making needs to come from the legislative body, not from a judge rewriting the law, but from the legislators and especially from the states stepping up and reasserting their role in healthcare regulatory policymaking to provide the next steps.
0: Sure. So it's a real opportunity for leadership. And two of the most prominent leaders in America today, President Trump, and here in Texas, Governor Abbott, have seized upon this President Trump intuitively knowing that, of course, this is a great opportunity, and that we need to amend, we collectively as Americans need to amend the way we have gone about introducing artificial factors into the free market, healthcare uh, marketplace. But the point I really want to emphasize today is just in the last few hours, Governor Abbott here in Texas has signaled very strongly that this is a real opportunity for states. And so for our listeners, most of whom are, are I think, probably right of center and and are applauding this thorough decision by Judge O'Connor, explain for them why this early signal by Governor Abbott, and I'm going to presume some other governors will follow suit here in the next few days, is really important to the point you made last, and that is the next step of policymaking.
1: I'm excited by Governor Abbott's leadership. I'm not surprised he's been a strong champion for for Texas and a leader in the conservative movement. Here's another example of how he has already set health care in Texas as a priority issue for the legislature when it starts here in just a few weeks with the upcoming legislative session. And I think in the focus on this, he is in the position to drive state policy making, you know, that that really can recognize how we need to take on some of these challenges, how we need to look at immediate action to make sure that no one gets heard. As we, we fix this mess that's been caused by the Affordable Care Act. And one example is guaranteed protection pools for people with pre-existing conditions, and we need to find a way in Texas to build a market-based structure that ensures that people with pre-existing conditions don't fall through the cracks, uh, one where they get to choose their doctor and their plan, and they have the option to keep it throughout their lives. So let's keep in mind that before the Affordable Care Act, states were the drivers of health care policy, and what has prevented them from doing so has not been a uh, You know, a desire for this broken outcome, but because the Affordable Care Act has stepped in and preempted them from being able to act. And so while this case moves its way through the courts, it is right and timely for states like Texas and others to step up and be the laboratories of democracy and to really propose, uh, you know, market based solutions that protect people, that allow for people to get health care that restore the relationship between doctor and patient, that provide for affordability and provide for better outcomes that we know are possible with the prosperity that we're surrounded with in this being the greatest nation in the world.
0: So in spite of all of the opportunity in front of us, there remains an unfortunate reality within the the broad, conservative right-of-center free market movement, and that is a few people questioning the success that this lawsuit will bring to the policymaking of healthcare, and and none other than the Wall Street Journal. Obviously, probably America's leading paper. I'm an avid reader and subscriber, but they ran an op-ed today that we found kind of troubling here, that saying that the lawsuit was not a good idea. We just want to lay that on the table. We're 501c3 think tank. We, we think and debate all the time. So there's nothing personal towards anyone at the Wall Street Journal in saying this. But we think that their, their column that they wrote today about the Obamacare lawsuit is dead wrong. A lot of people who listen to this podcast read the Wall Street Journal.
1: Why? How would
0: you respond to the points that the Wall Street Journal column makes?
1: So I found it very disappointing in the position that was taken. And it's been taken by a number of commentators that I believe are inserting their own fears and their own policy preferences and, you know, wrapping it up as legal analysis, uh, which shouldn't be the case. The two need to be separate. Uh, Where, you know, the Wall Street Journal aired, Was by failing to recognize that where the court ruled and where our arguments in this case that prevailed weren't just something that we made up. As opposed to other instances of judicial activism, what the journal and others have refused to recognize because it cuts against their narrative is that the blueprint for today's outcome, last Friday's outcome, was written by the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. it was written by the Supreme Court about the Affordable Care Act. And it gave specific characteristics of how it found uh, the act to be constitutional. So the law has not changed. And it's important to, to point out that Judge O'Connor, in his decision last Friday, he didn't overturn any precedent, he didn't change any laws, he didn't go outside the bounds. What he did was his job and faithfully following the precedent, the language of the Supreme Court, and the text of the statute. The facts have changed. The individual mandate penalty doesn't generate revenue for the federal government. Mm-hmm. That's what the Supreme Court said that it had to do. And so, you know, those that want to criticize this as, as activism, they are misplaced uh, because this is the exact opposite. Sure. If
0: anything, that kind of analysis is one that rests upon... Too much focus on the politics rather than the policy. And by that, I mean, as we like to say here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, we want to put a human face on policy. The, the, the bedrock of the claim that you made, that we made in this case, was that there are people who have been harmed by this, this terrible legislation called the Affordable Care Act. And I think that's what that commentary misses. Most importantly, we have an opportunity looking ahead to perhaps dispel some of the misunderstandings and hopefully provide an impetus for elected leaders to take some action. And so why don't you, this is the the final question as we wrap up here, look into your crystal ball for the next 13 months. So through the end of 2019, what do you see happening with the case itself? And what would your prediction be, best case scenario in the policymaking sphere?
1: Well, what I see happening in the case, we'll start there, is that uh, the California led coalition of liberal states have already stated that they intend to appeal. The attorney general of California says he's going to appeal that will happen here in the next several weeks, but I think that's a certainty. And this case will be appealed to the fifth circuit, which is the appellate court uh, over the region that includes Texas. And so for this case, I think the majority of 2019 will be dominated with this case being on appeal to fifth circuit. It'll take, six months or so for it to be briefed up and then there'll be a, a period of oral argument and there'll be the time for uh, the fifth circuit to issue its ruling. I hope when we get to that point, while the legal issues will be important to resolve that the policy issues themselves will be moved. Kevin, I, I sh- I'm continuing to be pessimistic about um, positive solutions coming from Washington, D.C. And you and I will agree that's not where they should come from. That's not the proper role of the federal government. But my hope is that 12 months from now, we have seen energy and action from states stepping up, calling their legislatures into special session, going into their legislative session, and adopting new policies that reflect the best interests of those states. Maybe some policies that I would disagree with maybe some that I wish that Texas would adopt, uh, we can be influential on a state-by-state state basis as to what would work best in a better care, better coverage. But that when we get to this, t- this time at the end of 2019, we will look back and we will see that the states have led, uh, that governors and, and states, as, as former Governor Mike Huckabee this morning uh, talked about, uh, are in a better position to do a better job on this. And that we can close the chapter, even though the court case may go all the way to the Supreme Court, the 12 months gives us an opportunity to have policy solutions and better outcomes uh, that can put this tragic chapter to rest.
0: Well, and and what I'm hearing you say, if I can just underscore, is that the, the first step of this legal action is a potential corrective, not just to a misguided law, but perhaps equally importantly, a corrective to... An overreaching federal government that has really pushed state power to the side. And perhaps this will be a much needed injection of energy into states so that we get the cooperative federalism that our founders envisioned. And as you said, that means that states like California and Texas may take very different state-based action on healthcare, but that's precisely what our founders wanted to happen so that then in the national marketplace of ideas and policies, the American people can decide. And so we can look forward to that day, perhaps within the next year or two of that happening. Rob Henicky, it's a pleasure working with you. Thanks for taking some time out of an extraordinarily busy day to join this special edition of the podcast. For those of you who are listening, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for more updates on this important case. May God bless you and God bless Texas. Thanks for listening to the Foundation Podcast brought to you by the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Please don't forget to subscribe.